welcome to Pod of My Own by Mind of My Own, hosted by Yvonne Anderson and Scarlett Chinetti, a tech for good podcast that covers children's participation, co-production, and children's social care and well-being. This podcast is designed to ensure that young people's voices and opinions are championed and empowered in all aspects of their lives. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hi everyone, welcome to the final episode of our Get to Know the Team series. We wanted our first series to showcase the skills and diversity of our team. Working in tech is not all about coding. Everyone at Mind of My Own has different backgrounds that all add to the unique richness of our company. We're talking today with Jill, Mary and Mark, who together with myself are our executive and non-executive directors. We will discuss what it's like to run an agile tech for good company. Mark's going to join us a little later over the phone. So the first question that we like to ask our guests is, who from your childhood would you like to get a drink with today? So we can start with you, Mary. Who from your childhood would you most like to get a drink with today? Oh, I'm going to go a bit left field with this, actually. I'm going to choose my primary school headmistress, who was a very strict uh, nun in the 1960s. Um, Probably wouldn't be able to go for a drink with her, but maybe we could have a cup of tea. Uh, Sister Mary Kevin from uh, St. Peter's Primary School in Doncaster and I would like to meet her to she was always quite a progressive teacher despite being a nun and I would like to show her how much the world has changed since the 1960s particularly around technology you know she was the sort of person that she used to have keep a budgie in her (laughs) office which she used as a way of uh, trying to welcome new children into the school, she would show them the budgie, Peter, okay. and that was a way of you know breaking the ice a little bit. Oh. But uh, there'd be so many other different things that she could do today, uh, so she would be my choice. Nice. Okay, and how about you, Jill? And I'm going to choose um, my friend, who was also called Jill. It was a very popular name back in the day, <laughs> and. There was also a book called Jill and the Perfect Pony, which had a big influence on my life, as people that know me know I love horses, and my friend Jill also loved horses, and we would go on adventures and do things that probably would terrify people if they knew what we'd got up to. Um, one, one, one example is um, we rode bareback on a horse, and so the farmer had cut a field in the shape of like a racetrack, so we just both got on her horse, and I went faster than I've ever been in my life before and it was sort of sleeting and the pain in your face as you're galloping through a field falling half off a horse was just something I've never ever forgotten and I was about eight at the time and she was a little bit older so she was she was five years older than me but we shared the same love of of being outdoors and having fun so um and then when I went to secondary school I adopted all of her friends so I was the really cool kid in the first year of secondary school because I had loads of friends who were in their final year who had like beards and stuff like that. (laughs) So yeah, I would choose my friend Jill who sadly didn't make it to adulthood, she got really really sick and she didn't, she, she was before technology even happened so I would like to show her, like Mary said, about how the world had changed and how things are different. She, she unfortunately, she got cancer when she was a teenager. but she lived a life, she had a really good life before that. So yeah, that's who I'd choose. Amazing. Oh. So before you became a director at Mind of My Own, you worked for many years in social services and you worked in local authorities throughout the UK. Can you talk a little bit about that transition? Certainly, yeah. So I got involved in Mind of My Own a few years back now where 
I've always been really passionate about children's voices being heard within care planning processes and I didn't quite feel that we'd made it as social workers yet where it's actually accepted that children's voices are a fundamental part of what we do with them and how we plan for them and how we co-produce their services and I still think we're on a journey but I think it's improved greatly since I first started as a social worker. Um, I was working in um, social work for over 25 years, mostly in a management capacity. Um, and because I worked as an independent, I would always have like two or three jobs at one time. And I think that prepared me really well for Mind of My Own, because since I've, I've been working for Mind of My Own, I've always had to juggle lots and lots of different component parts of this role. Um, and I think that, that I came with the skills that I needed to be able to do that. And also I find it incredibly interesting because I get to do all the different parts that the role demands. Amazing. So over to you, Mary. Now, as we know, you have such a wealth of tech-related business experience, and we wondered if you could give us your top three tips um, that you find the most helpful in supporting companies like ours. Yeah, I have got three tips. It's tricky slimming it down to three, actually, but I have uh, I figured out three. So, I mean, the first one that I would say is that you should try to build a good organisational culture from day one. Mm. It's very, very hard or indeed nigh on impossible, I think, to go back and fix culture if it's not right. Um, and so that is the responsibility of the founders to set the culture from day one and to make sure that they are conscious about that and to get that right from the beginning. Uh, the second tip that I have is with a tech for good company to keep the mission in mind because mm. the mission at the end of the day is the most important thing and it's certainly a lot more important than the tech and my final bit of advice would be to build out your network when you grow an organization and to keep it eclectic um, because in order to build a great company, you have an awful lot of moving parts. And the more people that you know, the easier that is to do. They're my three. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, Jill, I was interested in what you said about doing lots of different jobs. Because people probably think being a director of a tech for good company is um, a fairly narrow kind of occupation. So. <laughs> Tell us a bit more about some of your varied jobs and maybe the ones that you really enjoy. Some of my varied jobs. Okay, <laughs> so I particularly enjoy thinking what Mary's just said about setting that culture, setting that tone, setting... I think, I think what you said about the mission is so important. It's about it's the thing that keeps us on the straight and narrow. So we know that our mission is to make sure that children have the way to have their voices heard. And I think when we are thinking about developing the apps, changing the apps, or developing something new, that as long as we stick that sort of thread that runs right through all of our, our activity, I think that's really, really important. Um, yeah, what else do I do? So I manage the team. So um, yeah, I get to line manage the, the staff team, which is the part that I enjoy the most. Um, we're really lucky. We've got people who come in and give their heart and soul to what they do every day. And again, because they feel that the mission is important, we all know that this mission is important. When we hear stories back from some of our, our community, when they're saying to us that this child has managed to open up and tell what's ha been happening to them and it's made such a massive difference to their life, that's what makes us all get up and do what we, we do every day. 
And then the networking, as Mary said, we spend a lot of time. I, I go to um, presentations with organisations. I keep co um, contact with companies through um, our account managers, but also sometimes directly myself. And then I do anything else that needs to be done. Sometimes I, I help Yvonne out and um, do some product stuff. So we've just we've just um, launched some new features, or we're in the process of launching some new features, and. Um, I managed to do that and we managed to do the translation into Welsh so I actually like dipping in and out of that bit but the bit that I like the most is managing people managing staff and the outward facing stuff people people persons I'm a people person yeah and I could just <laughs> like to follow up with Mary as well because I think it links what Mary, what Mary and Jill are saying around networking because I think some of the people listening to this podcast perhaps if they're in public sector jobs or similar may not really understand when we say that networking is a really big and important part of what we do, may not really grasp that as well as we have to. So I just wondered what either of you thinks, what are the secret ingredients of networking? What is it that you actually have to do to build a network? I think the listeners would find it interesting. Any tips? I'd, like to, I'd like to say so. I think in terms of developing network, I, the thing that I find um, the most valuable is when we link in with somebody else and it isn't it's a reciprocal arrangement it's not just somebody taking what you know or not just somebody taking something you're useful for but actually together you it's that sort of gestalt thing so the, the, the sum of the parts being being greater so for me I always like to make sure even if we are the people that are taking advice or knowledge or taking something from somebody else we always offer to give what we think we can give back because that's really really important and I think that makes for sustainable networks as well. So I think that makes for people who want to have an ongoing relationship with you rather than somebody who goes, that this person's come along and sucked what they can out of me and then I'm no longer important to them. But it's actually about those sort of develop, developing those relationships and sustaining them. So I've spent years building my network. I used to think that I was just a party girl, but then it occurred to me later on that what I was actually doing was building a network. Just being a party girl. <laughs> um, and these days, the way that I apply that, uh, one of the things that I, one of the other things that I do is I'm entrepreneur in residence at the University of Oxford, and my professor there said to me one day, and this took me quite by surprise because I never really thought of it this way. He said to me, "What you're actually doing, Mary, is you're building a guild, which goes right back to the Middle Ages, because." I work with a small number of tech for good companies, mm. but I introduce them to each other and I also figure out ways in which they can help each other. But I also introduce other people into the group because I do believe that if you do two and two, it does equal more than five. And that's the, I think that's the way to do it. Intriguing. Mm. I think it's interesting you talk about kind of forming those meaningful relationships and it's not all give or take and I think we even deal with that when we deal with our customers as well um, we're always open to feedback and always working with a different organization to ensure that our apps are fit for purpose in whatever type of organization that we're working with and always listening to them and even when we talk about our mission too it's always making sure that people's voices are heard especially young people and if we're working with organizations whose mission it is to do that, it's always great to kind of have those cooperation and collaboration with everyone. 
you always learn something from talking to other people if your ears are open and you're ready to listen. Definitely. You always do. And usually you can find something that you can give back as well. And if I had to say who, who I think is the best networker I've ever met, it happens to be Mary. <laughs> <laughs> and I have learned a lot about it from watching Mary over the years. <laughs> it wasn't buttering you up then, though. It's such, a, it's such an important part of being in touch with your audience, mm. I think. Yeah. A very wise man once said that any conversation that you have with a customer is too short. He was also not a very nice man, <laughs> but he did get that right, that every conversation you have with a customer is too short. Right back to what you were saying there, Scarlett, about really listening to people, listening to what it is that they need, and figuring out how you can provide that to them is a very, very important part of business. Definitely. Mm. I know I learned that when, when I go out and give presentations. Obviously, the, my main focus in the beginning was making sure that <laughs> I could get, deliver a presentation, um, but there really is more things that are going on. You do have to listen to people and you do have to kind of focus on what their needs are and then tailor how we can fit into that organization. Um, so it's number, it's number one way. We see that when we have our road mapping days, when we look at what mm. next, the what next part, which I always find the most exciting bit of, of what we do. We do it a couple of times a year and we take all of those pieces of information that we've picked up from the whole of the team, from going out and speaking to customers, going out and speaking to potential customers, and then we distill that down into some somehow some tasks that we're actually going to achieve over the next six to 12 months. Um, and it's amazing how many of those come back and we hear them from different places and that's what gets built into the changes that we make within the apps and within our projects. I think I've been working with you guys now for about 18 months and I've seen the complete cycle of that working from looking at those post-its all over the carpet in Wales one day to actually seeing that through to new products coming out of the other end of the pipeline. So it's, it's a great process to watch and to be part of. Absolutely. I don't know whether I'm more excited at the end. Either end of those that process, I get really excited. So the, the, the potential bit of the what could we do next through to actually when there's real stuff starts to happen, it's just like super exciting. So our new features that are coming out at the moment, mm. it's just great to see how, how customers respond to those, how young people respond to those, and to close that loop right back to the beginning again. So we, we got told this is what you wanted. We've gone out and we've developed it, and then you come back and tell us actually this bit works and that works really well, but we might like this bit to work in a different way. And, and see the happiness on people's faces when it's actually delivered. I love that bit. <laughs> we should end on that lovely positive note of um, summarising from childhood friends and mentors that we would invite back to tea or maybe drinks of fizzy pop. <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> through sort of the tips for companies like ours, some of the processes that we have in our company, Jill, and the importance of networking, which I'm sure many people think of it as in a narrow sense, but I think this conversation has shown is so broad and so necessary in a company like ours. Yeah, definitely. So thank you, Jill and Mary, for speaking to us today. Thank you. Thanks, Scarlett and Yvonne, for hosting us. <laughs> our pleasure. Who from your childhood would you like to get a drink with most, and why? So I think the person I most like to go for a drink with is not actually a living person, but they were a huge hero to me when I was uh, young and growing up. 
and its top cat. But it was absolutely fascinating because there was a real sense of, I suppose, joie de vivre, really, just a sense of enjoying that whole business of working up some vast, complicated scheme, bringing together your gang of friends to try and achieve this kind of outcome. Amazing. And what drink would you have with Top Cat? What drink would I have with Top Cat? It's a really good question. Um, so I think at the time I probably would have had an orange squash with <laughs> Top Cat. Wow, thank you. So a little bit more prosaically, you are a non-exec director of Mind of My Own and you sit on the board and we're jolly glad that you do. But um, I just wondered what led up to you joining the board of Mind of My Own? What sort of factors led up to that and what motivated you to join? Sure. So I've always been interested in tech for good. Most of my background, most of my life has been spent working on kind of public service style initiatives, uh, mainly in the civil service but also widely beyond. So I've always been fascinated with tech for good. I've always spent a lot of time working with colleagues who've done Tech for Good. I spent a lot of time working as a judge, as a um, reviewer of kind of startups, working with VCs and others, looking at what kind of ideas are actually going to deliver value, what ideas are going to benefit us humans. By my own came along just the right time. I was looking for my next interesting challenge to work on. And I really like mine on my own. I think the key reason is the fact that there are two communities whose voices are never heard really. One of them is that of the elderly, and the other is that of the young. The young are excluded from so much of what goes on in our world. There are all kinds of barriers. Some of these barriers are good, they're for a good purpose you know, safeguarding, things like that. These rules are really important, they really matter. Mm -hmm. But it makes it harder for children to actually have their voice heard. It makes it harder for them to feel that anyone's listening to them. It makes it harder for them to feel like they're a participant in the world. And if you're alienated from the world, then it's very hard to care about the world and it becomes incredibly hard to care about yourself. At Mind On My Own, we're supporting social workers, we're supporting schools, we're supporting fostering agencies to work with kids, work with children whose voices desperately need to be heard because their life experience is what we're trying to improve. Their life experience is what we as a society need to ensure is going to be a positive experience, not just for them, that's really really important, but selfishly, as a society, we want everyone in society to feel engaged, to feel part of it, to feel like they belong, to feel they have a degree of ownership. And so Mind on My Own provides an amazing tool to allow children and young people to express themselves, to make their voices heard, to make their opinions known. And that's why I've joined. Amazing. Thank you. Um, some of our listeners, or a lot of our listeners, I think, Mark, will be people who work in the public sector. And I think we'd love to know a bit more about the workings of a board, 
and what a non-exec director does and why they're there in the sort of governance and the structure of a small company. So I wondered what your view would be on that. Sure, that's a very good question. So my personal view of what a non-executive director is here to do is a non-executive director is here to do two things. One, I'm not going to say negative or positive, but one is about being a blocker. I don't mean being a blocker in a bad sense, but being, if you like, a speed bump, being a reflection point, being a trusted tester, but that's only a very small part of why I'm here. The majority of why I'm here as a non-executive or a non-executive is to be a connector, to be someone who can bring the outside into the board and vice versa. Thank you, Mark. I know that as a board, you have all agreed to give employment opportunities to care experienced people. And we had a young woman join us for work experience because of that. Um, is there any piece of advice you could give to young people looking to go into tech? So that's a really interesting question. Uh, and it's one I get asked quite a lot, actually. Uh, recently, for example, I was building the new National Apprenticeship Service. Uh, and it meant I spoke to an awful lot of people, young people who are out thinking about their first job. And they kept asking me, unsurprisingly, what is the, what's the thing you do? How do you get that job in digital and the rest of it? And the answer really is, and this is going to perhaps be slightly surprising, is it's not so much about your technical knowledge. The technical knowledge is good, that's useful, don't get me wrong. You know, knowing about technology is a good, useful thing. But actually what really matters is a combination of two things. A combination of people skills, so can you actually work with other people, can you engage with other people, and your own ability to learn, shape that learning, and then deploy that learning in what you do. When you go for an interview, the most important thing to do is to be open, honest, and proactive. If you come into the room and you are engaged in the process, then the people interviewing you are going to be engaged as well. Okay? And the more you do that, the more you bring yourself to the interview, to the conversation, to work, then the richer that experience is for you as the individual, but also the more likely you are to actually gain traction in the role and then decide what to do. Because the thing about digital as well, remember, is it's not just about tech, there are all kinds of roles from user researchers through to um, designers, through to product managers, through to delivery managers. The one thing all these jobs have in common is people skills. Great letter degree, different shadings of how they work together. But the great thing about digital is it gives you the ability to work with all kinds of people on something real and something concrete and actually see it happen quickly, rapidly. That's what makes it fun, that's what makes it exciting, that's what makes it quite challenging at times. So my advice is always the same, which is think about how do you put yourself across and think about how you come across as engaged, how you come across as someone who's keen to learn, and how you come across as somebody who works with others. Those are the key things. And technical skills are great. 
don't forget them. <laughs> but don't assume that just because you know JavaScript inside out, that that's the magic route to the future. I think that was really good advice, um, because especially when you talked about the interview and being true to yourself, because um, after a certain point, when you get to an interview level, at the end of the day, the people really want to see if they want to work with you yep. and how you are as a person. So um, if you are someone that has really great technical knowledge and you're really used to working with computers and stuff, what are do you have any tips on how to improve those people skills, especially if someone feels kind of shy or doesn't know how to, um, has, hasn't really had a lot of experience in speaking in a, in, within a professional context? Yeah, and, it, and to be really clear, it's not about everyone having to be an extrovert or everyone having to be kind of capable of standing up you know, at a moment's notice and giving a 45-minute presentation about Top Cat. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's only people like me who, 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 who do that kind of thing. What it is, though, is it's about being yourself. So don't worry about being shy. Don't worry about being retiring. It's not about coming in and being something you're not, okay? Introverts work just as well with other people as extroverts. All teams, all people are a mixture of those different personality types, those preferences. What matters is just demonstrating how you do work with others. And there's no reason why you should always remain in that one little niche. It's quite good to just go out and practice interviewing. Sometimes you're the interviewer, sometimes you interviewee. You can do it with your friends, you can do it with your family, do it with your partner. Probably not your partner, I've done that. That can be interesting. <laughs> uh, but also, you can think about, are there things which I wish I was better at? And it could be anything from, I don't know, um, public speaking, through to presentation skills, whatever. And there are all kinds of opportunities out there to do that kind of things. If you have great technical skills, there will always be meetups about that particular thing. So if you are an expert in Ruby, for example, there will be Ruby meetups to go to. You can go along to them and you can always give a presentation. And if that feels scary, you do it Petra Kutcher style, that's five minutes, you've got 30 slides in five minutes, bang, 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 bang. You know, first time you do it, you'll be terrified. That's fine, that's completely natural, okay? But you do it a couple of times and you understand what it means for you. Are you a natural public speaker or aren't you? Doesn't matter which one it is, not right or wrong, but it gives you confidence in who you are and allows you to think about how do I present myself? If I'm in that situation, what do I do? What's my fallback, what's my approach? Great, thank you so much, Mark. That was really amazing.